The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We're talking about generations, a generation of Paul handing the baton of faith to Timothy, discipling him as he passes a church, and also the baton that's been church to, passed to the church for centuries. As Paul writes three books, First, Second Timothy, and Titus, they're known as the pastoral epistles as he writes to younger men telling them how to do church. This morning we look at a message in First Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. I've entitled Hope for the Hopeless. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. I'll read from the NIV. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. And we probably should all say amen. He displayed patience towards each of us. He displayed patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Verse 17 is one of the first praise songs I ever learned way back in LSU days, 35 plus years ago. Now unto the King, eternally mortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Father, we're going to open your word up. We're going to look at it. And Spirit of God, you tell us when we do that, you'll guide us into truth. And so I pray that as we look at your word, you would guide us into truth so that we might understand and not only understand it, but then apply the truth that we hear in Christ's name. Amen. You've heard someone say, he's hopeless or she's hopeless. Or maybe you said that about your spouse. He's just hopeless or she's just hopeless or they've done something and you've used those words. A couple of examples. I used this one just recently with my Thursday morning guys uh, of a man being hopeless. First of all, in the wife's diary, she writes in her diary this message. Tonight, I thought my husband was acting weird. We had made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. I was shopping with my friends all day long, so I was running a little late, and I thought he must be upset by the fact that I was late, but he didn't comment on it. Our conversation was not flowing, so I suggested we go somewhere quiet for dessert so we could talk. He agreed, but he didn't say much. She's writing all this in her diary. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked him if he was upset with me, if it was my fault. He said he wasn't upset, not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him I loved him. He smiled smiled slightly and kept driving. I can't explain his behavior. I don't know why he didn't tell me I love you back. When we got home, I felt as if I'd lost him entirely, as if he wanted nothing to do with me anymore. He just sat there quietly. He watched TV. He continued to seem distant and absent. Finally, with silence around us, after about 30 minutes, I went to bed. He came about 30 minutes later. I still felt he was distracted. His thoughts were somewhere else, maybe on someone else. He fell asleep. I cried till the wee hours of the morning. I didn't know what to do. I'm almost sure his thoughts are with someone else. My life is a disaster. In his diary, on that same day, he wrote this. A two-foot putt. Who misses a two-foot putt? (laughs) Hopeless. Would you agree with that, ladies? Ladies, what do you tell me up here? 
You get, amen me, ladies? But I'm not going to let you off the hook. I've got a card for you, ladies. There's a bank robber went to a Texas bank. He uh, got a sack full of cash on his way out. A brave cowboy ripped his, his mask off his face, uh, the hood off his face, and uh, he looked in the, ro- in the thief's face. The robber saw the cowboy, so he was. He shot him right there. He turned, and there was a teller who saw his face as well, so he shot the teller instantly, and she died along with the cowboy. Then he looked at all the people in the bank who were lying on the floor, not looking his direction. And he screamed out, Anybody in here see my face? complete silence. Then an 80-year-old lady spoke up and said, I know my husband got a pretty good look at you. (laughs) She's hopeless, right, ladies? Our guys, guys? He's hopeless, she's hopeless. Saul of Tarsus was hopeless. If there was anybody that was hopeless in the first century, it was Saul of Tarsus. In fact, we're going to read his story. I just read you his story. And the, the result of that is Paul saying, I, I was the chief of sinners. Nobody was worse than I am. I am utterly hopeless. I was hopeless. If you look at who I was, if you look at my resume and the things that I did, I was utterly lost and hopeless. In those stories, he's hopeless, she's hopeless, Paul's hopeless, we're hopeless. One of the great things about the Christian faith is that your story is an apologetic. An apologetic is a defense. When we look at the changed life of John Newton, when we listen to the changed lives of the men at the men's conference last week, as you tell your story, it's one of the greatest defenses, apologetics of the faith that exists, because how do you explain the changed lives of folks? Hopeless folks, how do, you exchange, how do you explain the changed life of Saul of Tarsus? What so radically transformed him? How does a man go from being a Christ hater to a Christ follower? How does a man go from being a persecutor of the church to perhaps the greatest leader that the church has ever had? How do these things happen? And that's what Paul writes about. He writes the story of his transformation. He says, I was Saul of Tarsus but things change. He's actually writing to his younger disciple in the faith, Timothy, and he's saying in verse 3, Timothy, stay at Ephesus. There's some false teachers teaching weird stuff. You've got to stay there and correct their doctrine. But don't give up on them because if anybody was hopeless, I was. So don't give up hope on the seemingly hopeless. You've got somebody who's hopeless in your life, don't give up hope. Paul says, I was the hopeless one. Don't give up on those who are seemingly hopeless. Let's pick this apart, take a look at it, and see what Paul's saying. His hopelessness is spelled out for us in verses 13 and 15. In verse 13, Paul says, first of all, I was a blasphemer. A blasphemer is one who defames the name of God. He defames the name of God. In Paul's situation, he was defaming the name of Jesus. He was blaspheming the name of Jesus. He he was defaming who Christ was. You you know how serious blasphemy is? In in Leviticus chapter 24, under the Old Testament law, if a person, a nation of Israel, blasphemed the name of God, defamed the name of God, they they were to be stoned to death. That's how seriously God took it. In New Testament times, you know how serious it was? Look down at verse, verses 19 and 20. He says, Timothy, some have suffered shipwreck in their faith, the end of verse 19, and then in verse 20 of chapter 1, among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan. Why would Paul deliver somebody over to Satan's domain? And I'm going to explain that next week. I'll be preaching on those three verses, 18, 19, and 20 next week. I have delivered over the, these two guys over to Satan so they may be taught not to what? 
blaspheme. Do you see how serious God takes the defamation of his name? In the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 24, in verse 16, it says, If you blaspheme the name of God, you shall be stoned to death. And Paul says, Alexander and Hymenaeus, they have blasphemed the name of God, so I am handing them over to Satan so they can be part of his domain. Paul says, I'm a blasphemer. He also says, I'm a persecutor. I've persecuted those who claim to be Christians. Not only that, he says, I am a violent aggressor. I am a violent aggressor. And not only that, if you look at the end of verse 15, he says, I am foremost of sinners. The word foremost there means first in rank. First in rank. Paul says, I am the worst sinner you've ever seen. In fact, if you've got the old King James, I can't read the King James. I'm not smart enough for the King's English. But if you read the King's James, he says, I am the what of sinners? Chief of sinners. I am the chief of sinners. The the Greek word there means I am first in rank. Paul was to Christians in the first century what Hitler was to Jews in the Holocaust. Let me repeat that. Paul was to Christians in the first century exactly what Hitler was to Jews in the Holocaust. He hated them. He pursued them. He wanted to kill them. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, we have the first martyr of the church, the first martyrdom reported in the church. The first martyr of the church was whom? Stephen. And uh, Stephen was killed. Interesting. You remember what Stephen did? He was actually a uh, deacon. And uh, after Stephen was killed, revival broke out. So there's a great principle there. You want revival to break out in the church, start killing deacons. It works that way. <laughs> but but, but when, when Paul was there, I shared this with you three weeks ago, when, 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 when Saul of Tarsus was there, when Stephen was killed, he says, right after that, I began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, putting them in prison. He said after Stephen's death, which occurred in Acts chapter 7, he said at that time it became open season on Christians and I was leading the way. He said, I I begin to go house to house. I begin to look everywhere for Christians. And then he's called before Felix to give his testimony later on the book of Acts. And we looked at these verses a few weeks ago once again. In his testimony, this is what Paul says before the governor. So then I thought to myself I had to do many things that were hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. We have no record of Paul actually murdering people, but he says, I voted that they would die. He said, I was so devoted to Judaism that when these Christians began to pop up, he said, I I, I went after them. I cast them in prison. I made sure they got locked up. I voted for their death. He said, I punished them as often in the synagogues as I could. I tried to force them to what? There's our word, blaspheme. To defame the name of Christ. Not only was I a blasphemer, I wanted to make them blasphemers as well. And so I put the pressure on them. I made sure they were tortured. I made sure they were beaten. And he said, I furiously enraged at them, pursued them even to foreign cities. I left Israel looking for Christians so that I could have them tortured and persecuted and hopefully deny Jesus. Wow. How's that for a resume? You want to send him out on a missionary short-term mission trip with our Rwanda folks? (laughs) You imagine early first century church meetings? When they would begin to pray for people, hey, let's pray for Saul of Tarsus. Great. Dear God, take this guy out. (laughs) Dear God, smite him with boils like you did the Egyptians in the time of Moses. I wonder how many prayed, dear God, draw this blasphemer, 
persecutor, aggressor, sinner to Jesus. And that's what happened. That's what happened. It's an unbelievable story. In fact, if it wasn't for God's grace, we would listen to this story and say, that can't happen. That can't happen. Never happens. I began thinking about Paul's a persecutor of the church in my mind this week, and one of the things I thought about was, is the church persecuted today? You walk out of this building, you're not going to worry about your life. You walk out of this building, you're not going to worry about getting shot in the parking lot. Well, not by authorities anyway, maybe somebody else would, but, but certainly not because of your faith. We don't, we don't fear that. There's a little squeeze among evangelical believers, I recognize that, but we don't undergo the persecution brothers and sisters do around the world. I showed a video first hour, it was a little long, so I didn't show it last hour or this hour, but you Google up the persecuted church, and you'll find over 50 videos that Google up and you can look at. But brothers and sisters who, who have been persecuted for their faith, from this pulpit over the years, you have heard from Celestin Musakura. Celestin came to faith in Jesus as a, little, as a young man in Rwanda, and when he came to faith in Jesus, his parents kicked him out of their village. You've heard Sukhwat Bhatia speak from this pulpit. Sukhwat is Indian. He's a Sikh Indian. He's the, one of the guys that wears turbans and grows a long beard. And uh, as a Sikh, he, he never heard of Christ. He went away to college. Somebody gave him a New Testament. He began to read that scripture. He was radically converted to Jesus Christ. He went back home to tell his dad, who was a wealthy Sikh businessman, what had happened to him. His dad went to the back, came out with a pistol, put it to his head, and said, No son of mine will follow after Jesus, deny your faith, or get out of my house and he left many many years never saw his dad again dad never came to faith persecuted for his faith you heard me talk about one of my heroes of the faith Ivan Prokopchik Ivan Prokopchik is Anatoly's dad Anatoly started Kiev Seminary we stayed with Ivan and I'll never forget the day at his dining room table in 1992 when he began to share his testimony he asked us to share our story we shared our stories what is your story and it began with well I met Jesus Christ in between my first and second years at Kiev Institute of, uh, of Technology, which would be like the MIT of America, and he came to faith in Christ. The Communist Youth Party found out. They came to him and said, either deny your faith or go to the gulag, and he spent the next six years of his life in a Siberian and then a Ukrainian gulag. In the year 2000, in the, I'm sorry, in the 21st century, if, if researchers have told us that more Christians have met their death, been martyred for their faith in any century in the entire world. History. If you Google up persecuted church, you Google up voices of martyrs, you can find all these stats, you can read about it, you can see it. Dear brothers and sisters, right now who are rotting in prisons, just this week, if you read the news, you saw that an uh, an Iranian-American, he's an Iranian who married an American lady, migrated to America, came to faith in Christ, uh, wanted to go back and tell his family and others in Iran about Jesus. He went back, he was doing that, not on street corners, but only with friends that came to him. Word got out, he was arrested by authorities. This past week, he was sentenced for eight to eight years in an Iranian prison because of his faith in Jesus. Right now, right here. Right now. We need to pray for the persecuted church. Paul said, I was the persecutor, but we're surrounded by people who meet with that every single day. And so we recognize we are fortunate to live in a land, live in a society where we don't have to fear for our faith. Well, Saul of Tarsus was radically transformed. And when he was transformed, he became the Paul that we know in the scriptures. Saul of Tarsus became Paul. 
the guy that was the blasphemer, the violent aggressor, the one who says, I, I am the persecutor, the guy who says, I'm the chief of sinners, he became the leader of the first century church. The transformation of Paul is recorded for us. In fact, if you write in your Bibles, I want you to circle two words. At the end of verse 13, you see the word mercy. In the beginning of verse 14, you see the word grace. Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Two words that pertain to our salvation. Paul says, I, I, was, I, I am a blasphemer, a violent aggressor. I'm a persecutor, the chief of sinners. But, he says, yet, at the end of verse 13, I was shown what? Mercy. I was shown mercy. Mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. This does not mean that God automatically forgives anyone who acts without knowledge. Romans 1 through 3 tells us that. But what Paul is doing is sharing his testimony. He says, the sovereign mercy of God reached out to me. I thought I was doing right. I thought I was doing right. I thought by persecuting Christians I was protecting Yahweh, Jehovah. But I was acting in ignorance and unbelief, and God and his mercy reached down to me. Mercy is not receiving something we deserve. If you want a simple definition, that's it. Mercy is not receiving something we deserve. Paul deserved eternal damnation. He writes that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. But God gave him mercy, that is, he did not give to Paul something he deserved. God has extended mercy to you and me. He's extended mercy to you and me. Mercy is not receiving something we deserve. The scriptures tell us that we have all sinned, and because we've sinned, we fall short of the glory of God, and because of that, we deserve eternity away from the presence of God. But God, being rich in his mercy, it says in Ephesians 2.4, God, being rich in his mercy, sent forth his Son unto us. Mercy, not receiving something we deserve. Let me stop and make a quick application. Some of you need to receive God's mercy for the first time. You've been working like mad for your salvation. You've been trying to be good. You've been teaching Bible studies maybe or serving in a nursery or giving your money. And you've been trying to earn God's mercy. God says it's here. It's extended to you. It's something that is offered to you right now. You do not have to experience that which you deserve. In fact, I will give you mercy. You don't have to go through everything you deserve. Mercy. Some of you for the first time. Some of you know Jesus. And you need to plead for God's mercy this week. Because you're living your life as a rebel. You know the king. The king has saved you. But you choose to live your life in disobedience to him. And you need to be on your knees pleading God, pleading with God for his mercy before his hand of discipline comes over you. Next week I'm going to talk about discipline. God's discipline, church's discipline. But some of us need to be on our knees begging for God's mercy because we are choosing to live in sin, so we need to repent and we need to seek his mercy. We need to do that today. And then finally, I mean, you're trying to hide from God. If you're living in sin and choosing to be that way, you're like Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember that story? Adam and Eve sinned. What's the first thing they did? They hid. Let me ask you a very deep theological question. Is God going to find them? Two people in the whole world. Two people. That's it. Nobody else. And you're going to hide from God. You're going to hide from God. 
I've told you a hundred times, do we play hide and seek when our grandkids come over? You know, I count one, two, skip a few, one hundred, and then I go, Papa Do's coming, ready or not, Papa Do's coming. And you know what they do? Especially Grayson, the four-year-old. All of a sudden, I'm hiding, Papa Do, you can't find me. <laughs> so if there are two, two, two people on the planet or six billion people on the planet, you think you can hide from God? Some of you need to beg for God's mercy. So some of you need his mercy extended to your first time. Some of you need to beg for it because you're choosing the life of a rebel. And some of you need to extend mercy. Need to extend mercy. What do I mean by that? Well, somebody has hurt you. Somebody's intentionally hurt you. They have wronged you. They've spoken ill of you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Become bitter? Seek vengeance. The scriptures talk about that. Read Romans chapter 12, or you're going to extend mercy. Gary, you don't know what they did to me. You have no idea how hurt I am. You need to extend mercy. Uh, Some of us are often like these folks right here. Absolutely no trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. You mess with me, I'm going to get you. You know where the sign is? This is the funniest thing. This sign was put up by the Sisters of Mercy. (laughs) Really? Really, it was. Mercy is not receiving something we deserve. Grace is receiving something we do not deserve. You know what Paul says? Look at what he says in verse 14. The grace of our Lord was more than abundant. Paul says the source of grace is Christ Jesus. The amount of grace, it's abundant. It never stops. The recipients of grace, sinners like myself. Paul says God's mercy and his grace were given to me and I received them. Have you? Have you? Have you received his grace and his mercy? I love the contrast that one author has between mercy and grace. He says it's not just mercy, mind you, but grace he gives us. Grace goes beyond mercy. Mercy gave Ruth. You remember Ruth in the Old Testament was a widow. She needed some food. Mercy gave Ruth food. Grace gave her a husband and a home. Mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. Grace threw him a party. Mercy prompted the good Samaritan to bandage the wounds of the victim. Grace prompted him to leave his credit card for payment for the victim's care. Mercy forgave the thief on the cross. Grace escorted him into paradise. Mercy pardons us from our sin. Grace woos us and weds us to a Savior. Grace, given us what we don't deserve, eternal life, eternal hope, forgiveness of sins. Mercy, not given us what we do deserve. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I'm a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor. But through his mercy and through his abundant grace, God has changed me. In fact, he says in the next verse, this is a trustworthy statement. Christ came into the world to save sinners like me. Christ came in the world to save people like Gary DeSalvo. Christ came into the world to save sinners. You put your name in that blank. That's what he did. Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, Timothy, you've got some weirdos out there in your church. And let's face it, every church has weirdos, including TBC. I mean, you've got weirdos. And they want to teach a strange doctrine, and they want to come and teach this stuff. And he says, Timothy, in verse 3, you've got to stick behind, and you've got to talk to these guys. He says in verse 7, they want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about, Timothy. Hey, I'm going to tell you, I get some weird stuff in the mail. 
I, I get emails, you know, I get, I, if somebody else sends me a thing about Jesus is coming back, he was supposed to come back in December because the Mayan calendar ended, so I trumped up my credit cards and all of a sudden he didn't come back. <laughs> I, I really didn't do that. But I mean, I get that stuff in the mail all the time. You know, on end times, you know, my, Jesus says, the disciples said, is now the time the kingdom's come? And he says, the Father hasn't revealed that to me. I'm going to let you in a secret. If Jesus doesn't know, nobody else around here knows. And so, I mean, it's come on. So, so Paul tells Timothy, stay there, get these weirdos out. I mean, they're teaching us strange stuff. Teach us strange stuff, Timothy. But Timothy, I was one of those. That was me. Timothy, I, I, I was a guy who thought I understood the intent of the law, but I really didn't. And Timothy, I, I persecuted believers. And Timothy, and so Timothy, don't lose hope on the hopeless. It's amazing who can come to faith in Jesus. It's amazing. And these guys are pretty hopeless like I was, Timothy. So, Timothy, you've got to take care of their terrible teaching. That's wrong. You can't let that exist in the church. It's got to be put out. But Timothy, pray for him. That was me. Christ came into the world. You want sound theology? Verse 15, underlining your Bibles, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. You want the gospel? There it is. Christ came to save sinners. He died, buried, was resurrected to save sinners. That's the gospel. So Timothy, he extended to me grace and he extended to me mercy. And Timothy, before we go, before we go on, I love this quote. Christ came in the world to save sinners. All through human history, as far back as recorded time, and doubtless before kings, princes, tribal chiefs, presidents, and dictators have all sent their subjects into battle to die for him. I mean, every leader sends an army into battle to die for them, to fight the battle. But only once in human history has a king not sent his subjects to die for him. Instead, he died for his subjects. I just love that. I love that. The only time in human history where a king didn't send his troops into battle to die for him, this king died for them. This is the king who introduces us to the kingdom that cannot be shaken because this king reigns eternally. And we should say amen and amen. Our king came and died for us. He came and died for us. That's a different kind of king. That's a savior who's a king. Well, Timothy, don't give up on the hopeless. I was the hopeless Saul, but I was transformed into Paul. And so the result of that, if you go all the way back to verse 12, Paul begins, he says, I thank God that I was strengthened, that Christ has strengthened me. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord for strengthening me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Paul says, you know, I look back on my life and he does that. This is his story. This is his song. I mean, this is his story right here. And he says, I look back at my life, Timothy, and I'm amazed. Not only has he strengthened me, and in that context he talks about the salvation received, but Timothy, not only that, the king allows me to serve him. Imagine that, Timothy. In, In verse 12 he says, he finds me fit for service. Timothy, in spite of all I've done, in spite of my past, and in spite of my resume, and some of you say, God can't use me because of my past. I say, hooey, hooey. 
God can take your past and use it in great ways for His glory if you let Him. And He says, Timothy, I'm allowed to serve. Imagine if we had this same attitude. I am allowed to serve four-year-old kids in a Sunday school class. To God be the glory. I can open my house and have a Bible study for people in my neighborhood, or I can go to work and go to a lunchroom and have a Bible study with people I work with. I'm allowed to serve the king. I find out somebody's lost a loved one or somebody's sick, I can bring them a meal. I, I, I hear my neighbor has struggles, I come over and I can listen and pray with them. Timothy, I am allowed to serve the king. I thank, look at how that verse starts. I thank Christ Jesus my Lord. Thank him for what he strengthened me and he lets me serve him. So when you serve the Savior, if it's changing light bulbs, if it's changing diapers in a nursery, if it's opening your home, if it's praying with a neighbor, if it's sharing Christ with someone, you have the joy of serving the King. And he says, not only that, Timothy, I can be an example for the King. If if you look at verse 16, he says, Timothy, not only that, but I, I can be an example to others. Timothy, for this reason I found mercy in order that in me as a foremost sinner, meaning first in rank, I'm the highest sinner around here, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him. Timothy, when people want to believe, they can look at my life because my past is so checkered and so bad that they can look at me and say, if he can get saved, anybody can get saved. Hey, you ever feel that way? You ever feel that way? Man, if God can save me, save anybody. And that's why you have hope for the hopeless. That's why your past is not something to be shamed about. It's not something to carry guilt about. It's not something to be like you're in, in, in just weighed down and cement on. You use your past to the glory of God so people might see the transformation Christ can bring. You guys know Bev's story. She shared it a dozen times with women. She shared it up here a couple of times. She's using her story to the glory of God. I hear stories of many using your past and what's happened to you to the glory of God. He says, God used me as an example to others. Wow, what a privilege, Timothy. And so what else can you do but praise God? Hey, when, when you recognize who you were and now you see who you are as Paul did, I see Paul writing verse 17 with tears in his eyes, hands raised. Timothy, this is who I was. But I was a chief of sinners and Christ Jesus came for people like me. So Timothy, you've got to correct these guys with all this stupid doctrine, weird doctrine, I can't use the word stupid. You've got to correct those guys. But Paul says, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Because he transformed my life. And I'm not who I was. And I can bring him glory. Hey, that's your story too. If you know Christ, that's your story. You say, I, I never voted to kill anybody. I never persecuted anybody. No, but the scriptures say you were far off from God and he brought you to himself. The spirit drew you and you knew the Savior. That's your story. How could you not praise him? How could you not do it?
You heard the story of John Newton. We've heard stories of others after sermons. I've got a dear friend here, Ann Warriott. Would you welcome Ann Bott as she joins me up here? Ann, come and join me. Worship team, would you guys come and join Ann and myself up here? I called Ann on Friday, so beware out there. You never know when I'm going to call you. Uh, I know Ann's story, and Ann said, uh, I'll be glad to share my story, Pastor Gary. Or they're like, uh, a lot of people going to share their story? I said, yeah, Ann, me and you, we're going to share your story together. And she said, ah, I'll do it, Pastor Gary, to God's glory. That was her response. That was her response. And so I said, Ann, I'll do this. I'll ask the people to pray while she speaks. So pray for her while she speaks. And why don't you share a little bit about uh, your background and about uh, how you got to where you are now. Uh-huh. Um, I was born in Thailand and um, growing up with a very mild uh, Buddhist family, doesn't know God, and there's no Christian background at all. So I came here to the school uh, in 1989, and my life has just become, now I am running the business, you know, the, the restaurant business. Three years after I opened the business, and I had met two of the customers, and who now become good friends and very amazing, you know, friends. So um, they both had gave me the Living Bible, the Living Water book, and the Bible. And that was the first Bible I ever received, and it's easy to read and understand. And I got the verse, first verse that I know is John 3:16. And I had to read it over and over. I didn't understand, so I started opening the book, the Bible, and just my word just come to my heart. And that I realized that I need to be saved. And I believe that I have received that Bible for a reason. And um, I just decided to open my heart to Christ, accept him as my Lord, and um, follow him, surrender my, my whole life. Amen. I'm not the boss, but he's the one. Amen. He took Hallelujah. care of everything. So. Amen. And uh, it was interesting how that came about. Uh, there were a couple of young guys who were coming to the Annon's Taste of Thai restaurant downtown Temple. And uh, there were a couple of young guys coming in there to study the word together and grow yes. together. Uh, Mark Rojas, he, he was there for the food as well as that, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> and, uh, but Mark was one of those young men and gave her the word of God for the first time in her life. And your heart was transformed, but God continued to work in your family. Yes, with uh, through God's grace, and uh, the church had connected me with uh, the mentor. Uh, her name is Kay Casebolt. Uh, since then, my life has changed too, and uh, my family's, my whole family has changed, and uh, we just grateful for what we are now and so thankful for what God has done for me, for my sin, for my, for everyone here. And I can't be grateful for that. So I'm so Amen. 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 What a, what a strong testimony. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Growing up in a Buddhist background, I'll never forget, we did uh, cardboard testimonies about a year ago and on Anne's card, on the front, she put uh, Buddhist for life, and she flipped it over. Uh, by God's grace, saved and baptized. Uh, June, June 2010. June 2010. Came to faith and was baptized. And uh, that's her story. That's what God does. 
He takes our hearts and transforms them. For Paul, John Newton, Ann Bott, or you, I trust that have the icing on the cake is that uh, Ann's husband, Kevin, is probably the biggest LSU fan I've met in my whole life. <laughs> Never met him before. Ann gets saved. He's here. And we watch football together all the time. So what a delight. Thank you, my sister, for coming Thank to share with us. What a delight. What a delight. <laughs> Do you have a story? What's your story? I trust that you've got a story about the Savior and what he's done in your life. Father, I pray that for each person here, that Christ is their Savior, that they know him, and that they desire to give him praise and honor and thanksgiving, and that they would be willing servants and examples to others of what he's done. Bev and I would be in the back. We'd like to pray with you about anything, anything in your life. You're hurting, you're far away from God, want to get close, want to know him for the first time, we'll pray with you. But we're going to sing this song as a testimony. This is my story. This is my song. I'm praising my Savior. That's what Paul did. Now unto the King eternally more He's praising his Savior every day for the story God gave him. Would you stand with us? Let's conclude by giving him glory together. Praise Jesus is my